You got a light, buddy? Yeah, sure, kid. There you go. And your wallet. Nick, give him your wallet. What for? He's got a knife. <laughs> That's not a knife. That's a knife. Welcome to Double Impact, the podcast where we double back on the movies that impacted us growing up as 90s kids and decide whether they hold up today or are best left in the past. I'm Tristan. And I'm... Wow. Great. Greg. Greg. <laughs> I have the soundboard at my fingertips. Yeah, we're podcasting in the lounge room. So if it's a bit echoey, apologies, but my wife is interviewing for a job in the studio. So yeah. we're out here. <laughs> She's kicked us more. out. Us and Seymour. Seymour's scratching <laughs> some kind of bone. Uh, so it's a lounge room pod today. Yeah, lounge pod. Lounging with a, one of the very best, VB. Absolutely. Well, what else could you do in a movie like this? It's Australiana. Ooh, Australian icon. Brisbane Bitter, perhaps. Did you see the logo for oh, Brisbane point. Bitter? I did. I made a note of that too. I see uh, uh, Rash's Pilsner, the silver bullet, has made a comeback. <laughs> and you know what else made a comeback? Squeaky toys. Seymour's squeaky toy. Excellent. Right on cue. You know this motherfucker sleeps all day. Yeah, yeah. So, and in so he's ready for time, <laughs> He's like full of beans. I, I wish I could sleep all day so I was ready for pod. <laughs> yeah. You know at 9am this morning I was really craving a nap? <laughs> yeah. I don't blame you. Fuck, that would have been good. Yeah. So it would have been a good nap. I felt it. Maybe getting old is when the naps just connect. That's the circle of life. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of circle of life and um, Lion King and other animals yep. that are in the wild, Great Crocodile thing. Dundee. Oh, yeah. It's a movie. It's a movie. They were covering this very episode. Yeah. yeah. Came out in 1986. Mid-80s. Mid-80s. Can you take us back there, Gregory? Uh, with pleasure. French. <laughs> So I thought um, Crocodile Dundee is, you know, obviously an Australian film. Yeah, it's very um, Australian. Very Australian. I thought I'd keep it in theme um, and talk about a bit of Australia in 1986. Right. There was a pretty significant moment in, I guess, pop culture in 1986 uh, in that Lindy Chamberlain was released from prison. <gasps> maybe the dingo ate your baby. Yeah, maybe it didn't. Mm. Well, I guess it, not. No, it did. No, it did. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. So Lindy Chamberlain and the case of the dingo ate my baby was a pretty big deal. So I thought, you know, most people probably know this story. Oh, they at least know the reference. The reference. Seinfeld and whatnot. Is it, is it, what's it in Seinfeld? I'm not a big Seinfeld um, fan apparently. Yeah, so. you're not. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know. Um, Elaine says it at some point. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know why. I can't remember why. I think she's talking about Australia. Yeah, or a baby. Rodinga. Yeah, one of the three. Well, the story goes, if you aren't familiar or you would like a refresher perhaps. Mm, I'd like a refresher. Uh, in 1980, a husband and wife, uh, Lindy and Michael yep. Chamberlain, were camping at Ayers Rock down yeah. in Azularu. Yeah. Back then it was Ayers Rock. Yeah. With their nine-week-old baby, Azaria. That's right. Baby goes missing. Lindy believes she saw something kind of like an animal take off with it from a distance. So she... It gets investigated, she gets cleared, they're like, yeah, that sort of happened. And then I don't know exactly what happened but 
then there was a ton of events that go, oh, no, no, we think you did it. Um, yeah. So, you know, ipso facto, a couple of years later almost, she's like charged and found guilty of murder. Fuck. Or, you know, yeah, murder. Because I've, I've never been fully engaged with this case. I, saw I the, feel like I've heard things over yeah, the years. Yeah, there's a movie. Yeah, with Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep <laughs> and Sam Neill. Like, wow. Oh, yeah, Sam Neill. But, yeah, but so I've they, heard like it's like dingoes don't do that. Well, this is, dingoes kind of do. Well, I don't know if they're still babies, but right. like I don't know if you've ever been camping where there's dingoes. I wouldn't nearby. put it past Seymour. Well, he's part dingo on the on the evolutionary, on the evolutionary yeah. chain. Uh, yeah, chain. Yeah, the, uh, thing. the thing, dingoes are super wily. Like they'll come up and steal food from your bag overnight if you don't lock your bag in a campsite. Yeah, and they sneak up on you, even with just you, and then you right. turn around and they run off. I think just because they're cute, I imagine they're nice. And the sneaky, yeah, sneaky, sneaky little dingoes. So I wouldn't leave a nine-week-old baby running like I wouldn't, lying around. Yeah, yeah. Generally. Generally. But, yeah, these guys went to jail. They were kind of – it was guilty by public uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? Opinion? Yeah, thank you. Because apparently Twitter? Lindy, when she was put in front of the cameras and things, people were like – why? Oh, she's obviously yeah. She's, she's too not, cold. Oh, she's not sad enough. She's not sad enough. She's too like accepting of this overwhelming tragedy. Yeah. So she got put away, and then uh, in nineteen eighty six. Australians love to turn on people in the media, oh, don't they? Is that an Aussie thing? Uh, it's probably a bit of both. But some. I mean, we do some shit happened in th- after this movie, which we'll get into. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, which is kind of similar. No one went to jail, or no babies died. Well, not that we know. So I of. guess it's not that similar, but it happened. Was there a dingo? <laughs> not that I'm aware of. Well, yeah. Closing out on these guys, '86, some guy backpacker, probably German, yeah. falls off Uluru, dies. They're looking for his body. And Finds a dingo's confession. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a pen, a penned note. He wrote a book called "If I Did It." <laughs> what was that a reference OJ. to? Did he? He read a book called If I Did It. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> and it, go, it just is written as if he did it, i.e. he probably did it. That's his confession. Yeah, but it's If I Did It. This is how I would have done it. Hypothetically. Yeah. Oh. So that's what happened with the dingo, huh? He wrote a book. Wrote a book, uh, bestseller. <laughs> He's had a movie too. He now helps the police department in dingo-related crimes. Yeah, but he got done for petty crimes recently <laughs> and he's back inside. Right. Um, no, sorry, what did the backpacker actually find? Oh, well, they were looking for the body of the backpacker and they found a ca- like a cardi or a oh. little jacket that Azalea was wearing. Azalea? Azalea? Right. Azalea Banks yeah. was wearing. Was her, yeah. So they instantly knew that that was hers and they're like, oh, yeah, sorry, case open, um, it wasn't you. Wow. You can come out of jail now. Fuck. She had a baby in jail and everything. It was all kinds of fucked up. That's horrible. And then the movie was, was massive, obviously, that came out, I think, in 88. Mm. We had to watch it at school. I remember being bored, but apparently it's good. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to watch it someday. Maybe when we run out of other movies. Yeah, yeah. It'll, <laughs> it's don't if you're hanging out, listening, waiting for uh, the name of that movie escapes me. Something about a devil or something. Mm. Tazzy Devil, perhaps. <laughs> that Tazzy Bingo Devil. Oh, ate my baby. <laughs> uh, so '86, yeah, big year for the Chamberlains. Big year for the Chamberlains. Big year for true stories that inspired movies. Big year for movies. Yeah. Um, fucking big year for movies. Keep going. This is the year of Top Gun. So you got kind of that uh, mm. iconic Americanness 
uh-huh. put it out there in the world. Yeah. The other side Wing of the coin. Such. Yeah, the other side of the coin, you got this iconic cultural export called Paul Hogan taking on the world. Yeah. With a little movie called Crocodile Dundee. These were the top two movies yeah. of 1986. Top Gun and Crocodile Dundee. Yeah, we're on the map, baby! In the world! In the world. It was the number one movie in Australia for obvious reasons, but number two movie in the world. Wow. Highest, adjusted for inflation, highest grossing Australian movie of all time. Still. With inflation. With inflation, of course. <clears throat> yeah. Without inflation, I think it's Australia, Happy Feet, a few others. I'll get into some of those later, but... With inflation, this Babe? is miles. This is it's a billion dollar movie basically with inflation. Oh, which is crazy! It is crazy. Who, so, ca- who got all the dough? I think they got a lot of it yeah. because you'll notice in the release dates, it came out in, Aust- in Australia in April of nineteen eighty six. Came out in September of nineteen eighty six in the US because they made it. They made the whole thing, released in Australia, did really well, and then sold it to the US. So there was no. They did. It was an independent movie. Yeah, and they just got distribution through Paramount. They would have made a lot of coin. That's how Strop bought the uh, Byron Bay Hotel. There you go. Oh, did he buy it? Yeah, he held it. He owned it for years. Right. Any Americans listening, you'll learn who Strop is shortly. Yeah. But uh, it's a pretty iconic story. A lot of the stuff we'll get into shortly. But um, budget of eight point eight million dollars, return of three hundred twenty eight million dollars at the time. But you adjust that for inflation, it's Almost billion dollar movie, mm. um, or if not, it is. It's like Avengers. Yeah, imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> These guys are like the Avengers in many ways. In so many ways, so many ways. Too many to, to too many here. to discuss any further. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this oh. has got one of those interesting Rotten Tomatoes scenarios. Critic score of eighty six percent, audience score of fifty nine percent. Which again, you would think that might be the other way. It's got to be that maybe audience score is more. From now or something, I don't know. Yeah, I could. That would make sense in the outdatedness. Of, yeah, yeah in, of some elements. Not to show all my cards just yeah. yet. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, but was this a big one for you growing up? Uh, I think it was a big one for everyone. Yeah, so, like it, it was such. It was culturally significant. Yeah. So I don't have. Like I remember loving this movie. Yeah. And I did get confused. I think at a really young age, I thought Paul Hogan was my grandfather, <laughs> or something like that. Like they, they don't look heaps similar, but my but oh, my, like actually, like you thought, right? Okay. Yeah, like my pop is old school Aussie builder. Yeah, bit of a larrikin, loves a beer, loves a, loves the sun. Yeah, and kind of had some Paul Hogan esque qualities about him. Yeah, and I kind of just assumed that meant they were the was same it person. was your was your pop the the local larrikin at the pub? No, he did like. I mean, they all liked a schooner. I like the schooner. He had this mad quote. I lost it already. Damn it! It's like oh, I'm just sure. It's a lot of blokes like me down at the local pub, and they're pretty bloody good. Mm. <laughs> That's his every man status, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's probably everyone knows a guy like him. I yeah. guess. Yeah. Not hunting crocodiles, but Paul Hogan, not not crocodile Dundee necessarily. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. For me, it's a bit of a funny one. I don't know if you felt this way, or I don't know if a lot of us just felt this way, but I certainly felt this way that at a certain age. I kind of 
started to reject this movie a little bit. Like you turn your back on it a little bit. Yeah. Become more conscious of like. Like Will Smith. A little bit, kind of. You're like, well, Australia's not really like that. And you kind of don't like the fact that we're portrayed that way. It's a bit like the Simpsons episode in Australia when that yeah. first came and out. everyone I, was like, oh. I hated it. Yeah. And then my mother was like, get over it, mate. Like yeah. <laughs> they make fun of everything. Yeah. Of course they're going to do that. They make more fun don't, of America. Don't make me give you the boot. boot. <laughs> yeah, like don't you get it? Yeah. So the wisdom of my mother once again, uh-huh. which comes into this show very often. And yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, good point. <laughs> and yeah. then I got over it. But apparently that's one of the most complained about episodes because Australians are so bloody fragile. So basically I, I was one of those people and then I think eventually I just realised it's but, just a bit of fun you fucking just get over it. <laughs> exactly. I realised it's hilarious. And, the, you know, there was a petition. Well, I'm talking now about both this movie and that Simpsons episode. Same petition? The, not the same petition, but there was same a petition. Same people? Uh, Australians. Let's say yes. <laughs> as much as Australians rejected that episode of The Simpsons, there was a petition to change our currency to dollar dues. I supported that. <laughs> got like 60,000 signatures or something. Yeah. Apparently it's not enough, but I'm in. It's, I'm so in. I still, I mean, I use them as, I call them dollar dues. And Australia is weird. I think we have to accept that. We always like, no, it's not that strange. It's weird. Have you, when I lived in New York, explaining things, say, I'd say things and like, what the fuck are you talking about? I, I Once the topic of the, the TV show Skippy came up. Uh-huh. And if you if you actually explain well, Skippy, that, uh, yeah, if you explain Skippy, they're like, Are you, I can't tell if you're taking the piss right now. Saves people from the barn. Yeah, I'm like, it's like Lassie, but it's a kangaroo and a theme song. Skippy, Skippy. That's a pretty good explanation. It's basically Lassie. It must have been right. I think that was probably what it was. That's how I explained it. Yeah. And they're like, you realize that sounds crazy. And I was like, yeah, I guess it does. We make up all these words. Like it's as much as this representation of Australia is maybe not accurate. Australia's weird anyway. We're mm. weird. Mm. We're here. Get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but at some point I got on board with the absurdity and, of course, you know, probably around the same time I started liking Will Smith again. Yeah. And realised everything is, it's okay. Mainstream is fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it kill for mainstream. And actually, just before you got some here. Mainstream was, dollars. <laughs> dollary dues. I wouldn't mind some dollary dues. Hey, if you got some dollary dues. Some mainstream dollary dues. <laughs> We um just before you got here, I was watching this video, BuzzFeed video of Australians watching Crocodile Dundee for the first time, <laughs> and they were basically that version of myself I just described. Like, oh, disgusted. It's, it's so stereotypical. Oh, fucking get over it. This was now though, and these are adults, and I'm like, nah. It's very hipstery. I mean, nah. Yeah. Shaking my finger. You can't I, see. How much I I'm wish that was stereotypical. Well, it is. It is. Sorry. What am I trying? Yeah. You wish it was real. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's aspirational. Yeah. <laughs> But let's talk about this movie. Do you want me to push the button that makes an origin sound, origin story sound? Uh, the only other thing I was going to say is I think we might have watched this at school because when the when the like swimsuit for, scene came on, oh yeah, I was like, I feel like this was a moment, not for me personally, but as a crowd, I remember like, oh, like, I mean, must it have was a moment it. for me personally. I mean, it was, but I feel like I can remember, or maybe that was just my hormones cheering <laughs> all of them. <laughs> <laughs> but. I feel like there was something at school or something. Oh, and it's actually for the – well, we'll get into how it holds up. but That is a great swimsuit. Yeah. The cutaway one piece. Yeah. <laughs> Greg just did a chef's kiss. Wow. Um, but, hey, should I get into the origin story? Absolutely. Origin story. 
this is a good one in not in terms of ridiculous precasties or in terms of like, well, who would have guessed that? And none of those weird behind the scenes shenanigans, but just as the story of the ascension of this Australian everyman come icon. Come icon. Paul Hogan. It's phenomenal. And Hogs. The Hogs. And his story. The Hoganator. He's not, yeah, he's not just in this movie. His his story and the origin story of this movie are inextricably linked. Mm. I'm linking my hands. Yeah, you can't see that. It's like a synergistic gesture. I'm doing a synergistic gesture with my hands. Interlocking of the fingers. We're clear? Cool. It's not just some movie happens to star in made by some Joel Silver type. Yeah. Uh, this is the culmination of an unconventional ascension of an everyman into superstardom. It's, it's, it's a pretty bloody amazing story. So he was born in Sydney, Sydney's mm-hmm. West. He, he's a dead set Westie as he describes it. There are other stories of him coming from other places but he's made up stories over the years and it's just become part of the mythology. But it is Sydney. Um, very working class family, very larrikin-y. Larrikin. It, do people know? Is, is Knockabout. Glo- is larrikin a global? Is that an Australianism? I think it's more global. Who is a larrikin? And if you don't know what that means, it's a real Paul Hogan type. Mm. But he didn't really monetize that for some time. He had some pretty ordinary jobs. Um, I don't think he ever realized he could monetize that. He was just the funny guy at the pub kind of thing. Mm-hmm. He, he worked a lot of pretty ordinary jobs. Um, he was a lifeguard at a local pool. Where he met Nolene, Nolene, his first wife. Had the first kid by the time he was 19. Yeah, yeah, they started young. Yeah, by 22 he had three sons already. Fuck. They went on to have five together. So he's he's going in, he's, he's, he's working, he's got to put food on the table. They're in a two-bedroom house with, you know, seven people essentially. He, he worked a bunch of jobs but the most, the famous one I suppose is him settling on his main, his career was... Working on the Sydney Harbour Bridge. That's right. Yeah. And I remember my mother telling me this as a kid and because I was a kid and didn't really understand the timeline of these things, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, he must have, he built the Harbour Bridge. Yeah. <laughs> but no, no, he did not. He, I guess it was maintenance and that kind of shit. Wait. Oh, yeah, he would have been too. Yeah. Did young. you have the same thing? I, just until right now. Well, I kind of did until yesterday or the other night when we were watching it and I was like, well, he didn't build it. And I was like. No, no, yeah, I guess not. What year, was, what year can, did construction finish? Like 1920 know, or something? There's only black and white photos. So. I think it was like 1930 or something. 1923. So he was yeah, 20. So. so he's now 120. <laughs> he's looking okay. Yeah, so, so he didn't build it. Mm. But he painted it and did other things mm. <laughs> with yeah. the bridge. That's pretty iconic in but and he of did, itself. He, he hosted the bridge climb. No, <laughs> I don't think he did it those that. days. A bit early. But anyway, this was his, this is this is it for him. He has no He's a bridgeman. No goal. This isn't like a I don't know, who's the opposite of this? This isn't a Vincent Chase, you know, I'm gonna be a big star, Queens Boulevard and whatnot. Yeah. This I is am like Queens Boulevard. I am Queens Boulevard. This is like I've got a family, I'm gonna go paint that bridge and bring home some food on the table. Via via the pub for some scooters. Maybe have a couple of laughs, bit of banter. The Harbourview Hotel. Yeah, exactly. Down the rocks. Down Plenty the, of boozers. Exactly. So he did that. I'm going for a schooner at the rocks tonight. There you go. Palisades would have been open at the time. Ah, uh, Palisades. My old local when I had a job. Mm, yeah. Um, <laughs> back in the, my working days. Back in my working days, yeah. Uh, however, there was a TV show in Australia around this time called New Faces. Bert Newton? I think it was Bert Newton. And it was a bit like the Australia's Got Talent, America's Got Talent of its time. 
Um, but there was much, there weren't as kind of organized fireworks Yeah, It was just people coming on doing shit and the judges kind of making fun of them. Like red faces. Like red faces. I think some of them were genuinely talented. I, I've never watched it. It was way before our time. But um, he applied to go on it. His appearance was quite unconventional, which I'll let him explain. Unfortunately, I couldn't find the original clip, but I found a clip of him explaining it to David Letterman a couple of years later. Oh. Or what would turn out to be probably 15 years later. Letterman, eh? Yeah. It's called New Faces, which was a show in which amateur talent got up and did their stuff. And a little panel of professional entertainers uh-huh. uh, persecuted them. They were judges. Yes. Yeah. They sat up there and yeah. said, you know, sorry about the cellulite, dear, and things like that. <laughs> oh, they yeah. would actually make fun of them. Oh, yeah. yeah. They sort of tore them to pieces. Mm-hmm. It was like feeding the Christians to the lions every Sunday night. A very popular show? Very popular. Yeah. <laughs> We're sick. <laughs> and I just was watching it. I wasn't in show business or anything, but I thought it was time that one of the Christians fought back. Uh-huh. So I wrote him a letter saying I was a tap-dancing knife thrower. <laughs> uh, <laughs> knowing they'd think I was an idiot. And they said, oh, we can get this fool on and we can really yeah. humiliate him and have a picnic. So they got me on in like two weeks. Did, you, did they audition you at all? I refused to audition. Mm-hmm. And they thought, oh, he's a real idiot. You yeah. know, we're going to have a great time with him. And I got on and <laughs> tap dance. I just tapped my foot and threw the knives away. Uh-huh. And that was the tap dance and knife throw. Yeah. And then I just uh, adjudicated on these professionals. I just tore them to pieces. Did, it wasn't did, funny. It, it was funny? No, it was vicious. Vicious. <laughs> yeah. but did, uh, did the studio audience react uh, positively to that? Did they love it? Uh, the whole country reacted positively. Oh, that's great. I didn't win the talent quest. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the next day now, you're all of a sudden people know you all over the country? Not quite that quick. The uh, producer wanted me to come back, and I thought... Oh, they wanted you to come back? Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, I've done a tap dance and knife throw, so I'll go back as a shovel player. <laughs> and a shovel player just bangs two shovels together. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so the band would play, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da, and I'd go bang, throw them away. Yeah, and then you go back and do just more comedy. Yeah, then I went back as a Thunderbox player. Thunderbox. What is a Thunderbox? Thunderbox is a big timber tea chest. It's a big plywood box thing. Uh Oh, like a packing crate. Yeah, Yeah. a packing crate, exactly. And um, to play it, you you sort of had to run across the stage and drive your head into it. (laughs) (laughs) You can only play it once. Uh Sure. And then you're unconscious, the paramedics come, and the party's over. Oh, no, I've got a head like still. (laughs) He's just so natural. And he just goes, he just went, so he went on this show, New Faces, He's not a comedian. I mean, not professionally at least. He's not He's not a writer. I don't think, from what I can tell, I don't think he like prepared all this stuff. He just has this natural thing he does. Yeah. Like an Axel Foley almost. Yeah. <laughs> Australian Axel Foley. Aqua. <laughs> and so that happened and he became like a bit of a sensation through that. And one guy in particular was watching, which sounds, this blew my mind. I didn't know this before doing research for this episode. One guy in particular who Australians will know, a journalist, a television journalist by the name of Mike Willisey. Oh, of course. Was watching, um, who was about to launch a new television program himself called A Current Affair, which Aussies will know is still running today, A Current Affair. Yep, ACA. Yeah, although it looks pretty different back then to what it is now. Hard-hitting news back then, wasn't it? Well, hard-hitting news back then, but also it had Paul Hogan on it. Did it? <laughs> yeah, so. He was on A Current Affair. So Mike Willisey. What's the doco on Paul Hogan about two months ago? I can't remember any of this. Well, yeah, I watched it today. (laughs) (laughs) So Mike Willisey made this new TV show called A Current Affair, which is News and Current Affairs, with a guy named John 
Cornell, who we're going to be talking a lot about, and he came from newspapers. And I guess it was the idea of the caricatures in newspapers. They wanted some sort of lightheartedness to go along with the show. They yep. love this guy. They get him on board. And from what I can tell, it's... Put a softer edge to the hard-hitting news. Yeah, yeah. And he was sort of there to represent the everyman. He'd just uh-huh. come on. He'd come on after working on the bridge. <laughs> I'd come on to a current affair and just like, they'd ask him about stuff. And he'd, like, it was probably elements of genuineness to it, but he was just riffing, making jokes and this stuff. This is just peak Australia, isn't it? Like a bloke... Yeah. Essentially a labourer just ducking into the TV station at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> a show well, he said home. it was kind of shit because he would... He was still working on the bridge every day and he said they had to hide him because he became quite famous but he was poor yet famous. Yeah. And he said that's a horrible combination. That is a horrible combination. Because you work on the bridge, people are driving on the bridge trying to look for you up there and it's causing traffic traffic issues but also he's on ACA the night before and then he's on the bus and the train the next morning and everyone's trying to give you their point of view on something and it's just a fucking hell. Yeah, (laughs) no enough money to get a driver. Exactly And, and someone else noticed this. Mr. John Cornell, who I mentioned just before, who was the producer of this show with Mike Willisey, and he said, you know what, you got to get out on your own. you got to have your own show. What are you going to call it? <laughs> well, the, the Paul Hogan show was, was just around the corner, but it was kind of a lovely story. So he saw this thing in this guy and he's like, let's make your show. They became like best mates. Mm. They became like an iconic duo um, that would go on basically forever. Keep going. Uh, and the way he talks about it is really sweet. He says, like, oh, John was the only guy that knew what to do with me, basically. Yeah. And they, the way they talked about it on that documentary was, like, you know, if Paul Hogan didn't find this guy, he would still be working on the bridge. Not that he wasn't ambitious, but it just wasn't, like, he didn't have the interest in, it wasn't just on his radar as that there's even a thing he can do. Mm. And so these two working together was kind of dynamite. So John Cornell would do all the business stuff and he was his manager and he was the producer and all that kind of shit. And Paul Hogan was the Paul Hogan. Yeah. <laughs> And so they eventually made the Paul Hogan show together uh, in 1973. He's 34 at this point. So we're not too far off. We're not too far off. Like maybe this career in advertising was just me painting a bridge. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like that it. TV show ran for 11 years. It's got a lovely theme tune. It's got a great theme tune. And from what I, I mean, I don't know a lot about this show. I never watched it. I, our parents probably did. Yeah, it was a bit before us. Yeah, it was a bit of a sketch show, but I think there was some continuity to it like regular characters because John Cornell, who was a behind the scenesman, was basically roped into playing a character, Strop. Strop. And who apparently owns the Byron Bay Hotel. Owned. Yeah, because he's got Parkinson's. Or is he, I has think he passed he, away? I think he might have passed away actually. Yeah, poor guy. Sadly. But he was pretty prolific businessman. Like he, Yeah, yeah. He, he, he went on he directed part two. Crocodile did part he? two, yeah. Yeah, so they had this TV show, but they also did these specials that looked to me a bit like a Hamish and Andy type of deal, like Hoags and Strop. Are you looking at pictures of the chick? I'm looking at pictures <laughs> of Strop's wife. So Strop's wife, who was the main chick in the show, fuck, what was her name? Uh, Del- Delvine Delaney. Yeah, Delvine Delaney. So she was the main, I'm going to say chick because that was kind of her role on the show. She was kind of the eye candy and often quite sexualized. <laughs> it was it's a pretty sexist show yeah. through a 2020 lens. But very much uh, yeah. of the time. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They were very diplomatic about that in the doco as well. Even <laughs> like this female pop culture historian or something, she was like, yeah, it's very sexist, but the 70s were sexist. <laughs> it's just kind of what it was. And it was never malicious. I think that's something that got recognised as well. Like it was never, I guess. She doesn't look back on it yeah, in a negative totally way. Yeah, she's totally cool with it. 
It was just she's thrived. Yeah, and she is hot. She's insanely <laughs> hot. She's so she's so beautiful. And even like now, she was a weather a woman and a lady. model and um, yeah, beauty pageant winner. And, and so she, well spoken, like she's she's she, an impressive lady, man. She seems really cool. Yeah, <laughs> she seems really cool. Yeah, I was so impressed in that docker. Yeah, and yeah. and so Strops is alive, but he has quite quite developed and mature um, Parkinson's. Yeah, so he's gone pretty behind the scenes. Yeah, which is sad. Even more so. Yeah, but one time owner of the Byron Bay Hotel, which is a pretty yes. iconic spot, especially now beach with hotel. The, yeah. uh, the beach hotel. With um with bloody Zach Efron's and such up there, is that's probably where he met his girlfriend. Well, he sold it probably about oh, maybe 15, 20 years ago now. For, oh, fifteen for like, years too early for about. Well, he sold it for like fifty five million. Have been. <laughs> yeah, it was. I, I remember Dad explaining to me whose drop was when yeah, when right. it sold. Yeah, I remember. He, I didn't know much about Strop. and I didn't and understand this, it yeah, because I was like, what? He was in the show, or he was the yeah, exactly. Like, because Strop sounds like a Darrow. So I'm like, what, but Darrow so, from the show? Well, the, exactly. And th- Well, this is what's so interesting about this and the rest of the origin story. I know this is a long origin story. This is one of those episodes where the origin story is probably going to be 60% of the show because it's juicy. But these two guys, they're just hustlers, man. Yeah. Like he's on the show just because it's like, why not? Oh, yeah, that works. Get on. The-. Like they're just hustling their way through all of this. They didn't think, overthink things. Yeah, they're just doing it. Doers. They're just fucking doing it. And Never had... Oh. Choice paralysis, just crack on. Exactly. There's a lesson in there. Exactly. I agree with that 100%. Uh, but it's a massive hit, needless to say. Ran for 11 years. But their next move Keep going. was pure genius. I said they were hustlers and this is really the, Keep going. the major proof point of the extent of their hustle. I'm sure everyone remembers at least elements of this particular tourism commercial. America, you look like you need a holiday. A fair income holiday. In the land of wonder. The land down under. Now, there's a few things I've got to warn you about. Firstly, you're going to get wet. Because the place is surrounded by water. Oh, and you're going to have to learn to say good day. Because every day's a good day in Australia. G'day, Paul. G'day, love. Of course, you'll have to get used to some of the local customs, like getting a suntan in the restaurant, playing football without a helmet, and calling everyone mate. Thanks, mate. She's right, mate. Apart from that, no worries. You'll have the time of your life in Australia. Of course, we talk the same language. Although you lot do have a funny accent. Oh, before you rush out to book your Aussie holiday, call this toll-free number for your free Aussie holiday book. Come on. Come and say day. I'll slip an extra shrimp on the barbie for you. Come and say day. That's the one everyone remembers, right? Yeah. A shrimp on the barbie. Yeah. And Australians go, we don't actually say shrimp, we say prawns. And Hoag says, the shrimp is so bloody big in Australia, it would be offensive to call them a shrimp. <laughs> <laughs> now, that ad, yes, it was done by a creative agency called Mojo and they probably take a lot of credit for that. But apparently, now apparently I can only go with what I've heard, what I've learned in my research here, but apparently that was all from John and Paul. Oh, Sounds yeah. like I'm talking about the Beatles when I say John and Paul. It does. They, I guess, were overseas or something. They were somewhere the, and they saw the tourism ads for Australia. Like, we can do better than that. Let us have a crack. And they didn't ask for money. They didn't get paid. Or maybe they got paid minimal. But it wasn't like, we want big money. These are, these are the we most want, famous people in Australia. We want people to come to Australia. We want high production value 
and we want this in primetime TV in the US mm. because they wanted to build the Hoag's brand overseas. Oh, my goodness. So exactly. How good is this? So they, they have this the biggest show in Australia. He's a bit over doing four-minute skits, wants to do something bigger, but he knows if he's going to be able to do something like that, he needs to build his profile overseas and that's exactly what those ads did. What a fucking genius that's, and what a hustle. That's some blue sky strategy. Yeah, man, blue ocean strategy. Blue that's sky. genius. He talks blue about ocean, it. Blue ocean, baby. talks about it a bit here. I just got bored of writing sketches. I thought, I'd like to do something that lasts longer than four minutes. And I started writing a sketch when I was in New York doing a tourism pro- promotion. And by the time I uh, got back from there, the sketch was about half an hour long. John was doing the World Series cricket stuff then, and I took it to him and said, what do you think? He said, oh, that'll be great. We'll make it. And so this, he's, he's doing, I guess, the promo tour of this tourism campaign. He's in New York. He's an Australian every man in New York and he's already feeling the, the sort of fish out of water thing, I guess, uh-huh. that McDundee feels and that kind of informs the whole idea. Um, he's got this great quote, full disclosure, I've just ripped this straight from the Wikipedia, but I think it's a nice way to capture it and addresses some of the things young pretentious Tristan rejected. I like the way he's talked about this. So there's a lot, of, a lot about Dundee that we all think we're like but we're not because we live in Sydney. He's a mythical outback Australian who does exist in part the frontiersman who walks the walks through the bush, picking up snakes and throwing them aside, living off the land, who can ride horses and chop down trees and has that simple, friendly, laid-back philosophy. Uh, it's like the image that uh, the Americans have of us, so why not give it to them? We've always been desperately short of folk heroes in this country. Ned Kelly's pathetic, so are the bush rangers. So why not? Yeah, we need a pop culture Australian icon out in the world. It is in some ways aspirational. Now that I'm an adult in Sydney, you do kind of probably wish you're more connected to mm-hmm. the outback and that kind yeah, of thing, right? Of course. Um, so I, I like the way all of this is very intentional. Yeah. And Fucking great. To build on that, a, a folk hero that wasn't concerned with going around shooting everyone or that's getting a, a, massive getting a one. body count up. Yeah, that's a massive one. He talks about that too, about how he – Basically, we're, we're due for a movie where, you, you know, the body count's not 100 people or something. Well, that's it's, it. The same year you had, like, you know, globally yeah. from Hollywood, you got Cobra, Raw Deal. Um, well, it was the flavour at the time, Force. wasn't it? You, you got the lap pack is emerging at that the time. The lap pack is firing, well, he, figuratively and literally. He's almost anti-lap pack in many ways. He is. <laughs> totally he is. Yeah. After this movie, I'll get into more of this later, but after this movie he kept getting approached for action roles. And he said, the movie scene is screaming out for the movie hero that doesn't kill 75 people, less of those commandos, terminators, exterminators and squashes, makes a good role model. There's no malice in the fellow and he's human. He's not a wimp or a sissy just because he doesn't kill people. Mm. In some ways you could argue that Mick Dundee is out there fighting toxic masculinity. Yeah, yeah whilst being a chauvinist. Yeah, whilst grabbing Depends, a trans woman by the crutch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll get into all that. It's but, a, it's so a, he's a tightrope. Hey, He's not flawless. He's an anti-hero. There's some things to unpack there which we'll get into. But yeah. ultimately that's a, that's a lot of the origin story here. They, this isn't a typical thing where then you go, well, who directed, who did this? I mean, we'll talk about it. But there were all the people from the Paul Hogan show. So Peter Fairman was the director. He was a director on the Paul Hogan show. Of course, John Cornell produced, again, the guy. Um, so with this being the case, there's not a lot of juicy precasties because it 
always was and always will be him. But to round our cast, obviously, we've got Linda Kozlowski, who was a newcomer at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, another big name in Australia, David Gulpalil. Um, he, he's, a, he's a pretty iconic Aboriginal actor in Australia. For those overseas, uh-huh. for familiar faces in the film Australia. I'm trying to think of movies that overseas people would know. Um, but, of course, also Reginald Vell Johnson is in this as the limo driver. Carl, Carl Winslow. Carl Winslow. Too many Urkels on your team. That's why you're Winslow. Winslow. Or otherwise known as Al. Al. <laughs> from Die Hard. Yeah. The interesting thing here is, of course, they put these people in front of a camera and bish bash bosh, you got yourself a movie. But they made the movie. They released the movie in Australia Won the box office and then shopped it overseas. So it was kind of this got the runs thing. on the board, got the stock price up before Again, they all hustle, man, it. all hustle. Yeah, it's the strop. I assume is kind of genius. Yeah, and then I think it's probably the just the overall demeanor of this duo that it's just got a bit of hustle to them in in, in the charm in the room. Well, and you've got a, every great business has a bit of a usually the the charisma and the brains or the you know, someone's got the, the sales and someone's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you need the showman and you need the bookman. Yeah. But I guess these guys kind of seem to straddle. Yeah. And you got yourself a movie. Rap party, rap party down at the, what is the, what's the bar? Probably the Australian Hotel. Yeah. It was, it was probably. The Orient? Probably the Australian Hotel. We'll get a fucking crocodile pizza. That's oh, the one yeah. that does the crocodile beats, yeah, right? One, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we'll leave that one with your American listeners. Let's play the trailer. He was raised in the land down under, where a man thinks on his feet, speaks with his fists, and lives by his wits. Two beers, all right? One for me, one for me, mate. A legendary figure about to encounter a world more treacherous than any he has ever known. G'day. Big Dundee from Australia. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Just going down for a couple of days. Probably see you around. Fine. This your first trip to New York. First trip anywhere. Well, we might just have to give you one for free. <laughs> yeah. One what? How are you finding New York? A bit of a lunatic or something. That's why I love it, because I fit right in. G'day. Hello. Sorry. G'day. Look. Well, if you can manage, Walt, I'd like to stay a while. Wouldn't have anything to do with a certain lady writer, would it? Paramount Pictures presents... Your tall, Senor Meek. Paul Hogan. Um, hey, my man, what's that? Uh, where? As Crocodile Dundee. You got a light, buddy? Yeah, sure. Yeah. And your wallet. He's got a knife. <laughs> a knife? <laughs> Crocodile Dundee. Um, 
before we get into the rewatch, I'd love if you could just recap for the listeners out there, the friends of the show, exactly what went down in, yeah, this, in this movie. Yeah, sure. Right? It's a pretty up and down. Yeah. It's, it's pretty straightforward. It's, it's your classic <laughs> crocodile. Hunter, <laughs> man. Goes to New York stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, I'll break it down. You, so you've got this rich girl. Uh, I think her name was Sue from New York. Her daddy owns like the media or something. Skeleton. Skeleton. I thought he sold newspapers. <laughs> newspaper man. <laughs> uh, so she's got the boyfriend there. She's bored of this life. Yeah. So she's seen the ad that says, come to Australia and we'll throw a shrimp on the barbie. So she's like, all right, I'm going to get a Concord first class down to Sydney there. So she's holed up at this giant penthouse on the harbour, probably doing lots of cocaine. Uh, then she goes out into the bush <laughs> searching for a real man. Heads out to Walkabout Creek. Finds this guy, Mick, and they go and, you know, look at some crocodiles and whatnot, and she's quite into it. Yeah. There's a little scene where they're by the lake, and she he goes hunting and catches a barrow with his bare hands, and she, mm. she gets a little moist. <laughs> she's like, I want to take you home. He's like, okay. <laughs> so she takes him back to New York. Hilarity ensues. It's obviously a love story. Yeah. It. Yeah, a love story. A it is a love story of the of the most uh, of love story there is on screen and off screen. Oh, it's a it, they're divorced. P.S. I know, just recently. I would, yeah, that was heartbreaking. It was a little. I had to rewrite my notes. Ah, because you were like with a love that will echo through the ages, ages. <laughs> until yeah. twenty fifteen. Until she gets bored and marries a Moroccan and moves to Morocco. Is that what she did? Yeah. Wow. So apparently she's got this new man and it was all very amicable apparently. Like right. the three of them would hang out. Right. They live. They all live in LA or Santa Barbara or something. Yeah. And um, yeah, apparently I read a new idea today. Yeah, okay. Trusted source. Yeah. That uh, she has moved or was moving to Morocco with her right. new Moroccan husband. Because she wanted to be more worldly, Tristan, much like Sue – She's going to walk about in Morocco now. She wanted to go more, yeah, she wanted to experience the world. I she mean, they were, it's not like they were married down. for a year or two. They've it's been like together for a years. long time. Yeah. So, I mean, good on them. We'll get a bit more into that a little later. But in terms of the rewatch, how, how, how did you find it, Gregory? Uh, I found it uh, broadly positive, broadly positive, mm. broadly nice and broadly charming. Yeah. I enjoyed the scenery. Yeah. The top end. And we've mentioned this recently, that the fact that it is shot in New York, you get more, it makes you realise how often yep. it's a fake New York these days. But That's right. And also the fact that it was made without a global deal and they shot in New York just as some Aussies with a, a small quarter. budget. That's pretty impressive. It is. You wouldn't yeah. have noticed. Well, I didn't, but mm. I'm an easy target. <laughs> uh, I still enjoyed Mick in New York. Uh, yeah. A little crock out of water. Hey, they're amphibious though, so it's all right. Yeah. That's the moral of the story. Exactly. We're all amphibious. Yeah, you know where I'm coming <laughs> from, baby. It's good. Uh, especially his relationship with Carl Winslow. I enjoyed that. That was nice. I really enjoyed it when I was a kid. I've just always liked Carl Winslow. He's like, great. He's just, his face makes me smile. He's like, he's a pretty iconic dad. In this, he's like a limo driver and he's like, he's got the bottle of booze waiting for it. Like he's just. Yeah, medicinal. Like he's just, ah, oh man, he's, he's not buying Twinkies for his wife or saving <laughs> John McClane or 
raising the kids. Exactly. You know what? And everything was Working going the beat in Chicago. Everything was going so great for Reginald Vell Johnson until fucking Urkel showed up. Yeah. One episode of Family Matters as like a little bit character. Then it became the Urkel show and the ascension of Reginald Vell Johnson was halted. Well, can we can we get a petition going? Change.org. I'd like to see more Reginald. I want to see the Reginald cut of the entire Family Matters series. Mm-hmm. All Reginald. Apologies, Jaleel White, but the show's Not bigger apologies. than you. You've no, had your moment. You had your moment. You had the 90s. You had the, and the whole Stefan thing. Oh. We'll do that at some point. Uh, so, that yeah, that was very good. Um, I, I just had a question for you. It's kind mm. of a little bit off topic, but I just really like how Mick Dundee just says to his cab driver or limo driver, mm. You know, take me for a drink somewhere. I was just yeah. Driving. Have you ever done that? Strangely enough, yes. And I was in Sao Paulo. Ah. <laughs> we, we, I was working. We're working. It was a work trip. <laughs> was it work based? <laughs> well, I didn't want to ever explain that, but it was a work trip. <laughs> yeah. We're doing workshops in Brazil. It was a work part trip of a, doing workshops. Uh, workshops and things. And, you know, it's a long day. You travel there. I was only travelling from the US. It wasn't too bad. But you travel there and you do these workshops all day and then you're like, all right, night night is here. Let off some steam. So me, another guy from the agency and a chick from the creative agency who claims she can speak Portuguese was like, well, let's go out. I can speak Portuguese. I'll speak to the cab driver. She says, she says something like that. We get dropped off at this place. There's a cover charge. I'm like, I'm from Sydney. That's not unexpected. Cover charges happen. No cover uh. charge for her. Get inside. There's no one there except these five chicks. <laughs> and the security guard's like, buy them a drink. And I was like, nah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to buy them a drink. I want to buy my own drink. And we were really slow to pick up on what yeah, was going yeah, on here. Yeah, yeah. And then I went to the bathroom or something and I came back and I saw there's like this upstairs part. I was like, that's weird. And then I was like, Oh, I'm in a brothel. <laughs> I was like, guys, we're in a brothel. And um, <laughs> we finished our drinks and left. Um, I don't think she can speak Portuguese as it turns out. <laughs> but we got another taxi. She spoke again. Same thing happened. I'm like, let's go back to the hotel. Oh, another brothel? Yeah. What was she? She's getting her vowels confused. <laughs> if must- any Portuguese friends of the show could clear us uh, up on the whole uh, brothel versus bar <laughs> pronunciation. It must have been like... An expected thing or something. Oh, Ameri- Americans, yeah, yeah. You want to go here? I, th- I felt like call me um, sexist, but I would have thought a, a, f- a female companion in your travels. Well, here's, here's the thing. So she is of Indian descent. In that context, she kind of looks Brazilian. And when she was sitting at the hotel bar, men approached her as if she too. Would ah, for money. I thought she was a hooker. Yeah. So I wonder if the taxi driver thought the same thing. Mm. Interesting. We'll enough. never know. It's a great story though and I, I was very happy that you asked that question. Wow. Thank <laughs> you for yes ending. Um, so yes, what I about, have. And what about you? What was the, what was the rewatch? Uh, the rewatch was pretty fun. It was interesting watching it with Ara though because she was a bit in and out but she was she – was, she, I've never seen this before. She really struggled. She's like, what is, but what is it? <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you mean? It's, it's a comedy. Said, well, it's not. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? It is. This was early on. And then when the crocodile drinks her thing of water or eats 
you know, bite Canteen, the water. Yeah. yeah. She's like, oh, is this like an Australian, yeah, Australian version of Anaconda? I was like, no, Fuck. but that could be cool. I'm into yeah, that. Yeah. Even three quarters of the way into the movie, she's like, but what? But what is this movie though? Ah, oh, man, I feel like our our family rewatches are very similar. Yeah, Carol was the same. I'm like, but, but I'd a, lost it's a her comedy by the end. Ultimately, and I wanted the final scene. I was like, I, I like that final love scene. Yeah, yeah. The the meeting at the station. I when I was a, a kid, I, I frothed on it. I like that a lot. The early the, the romantic in four year old Greg, but I was like, Carol's like. Miss walked out, missed the end of the scene. Oh, I'll play you the end scene. It kind of ties it together a bit. Yeah. She's like, nah, I'm good. Really? See, what? I thought that scene was quite good because one thing. Love you. Yeah, so this this movie, let me get this out of the way. This movie obviously does not necessarily accurately depict typical Australians in the same way that it probably doesn't accurately depict everyday New Yorkers. But there's something about that scene that I found in New York that there is this Everyone is very helpful and camaraderie and a yeah. sense of community. People help each other out in New York that you don't see very often in movies. It's always like New York assholes, I'm walking here. Yeah. Yeah. But the same guy that says I'm walking here will yell across to the other chick to tell her that you love her or whatever. Yeah. Everyone is very helpful. And there's, is that an American this, thing? I don't know if it's an American thing or a New York thing or what, but there's definitely this sense of where, hey, I've got your back this together kind of thing. I think it's a very micro version of that is when you're at the baseball Mm. Hot dogs, ice cold and beer, they, they pass them to and you, you pass the money over. And I, I always think in Australia you wouldn't get all your yeah. chips. But we are like, all your fries wouldn't make it to you. No way. There'll be a bite out of your hot dog. On, We're built on convicts. We are prison colony. <laughs> Bunch of assholes. And I think that if this movie was the opposite, and it's an American going to Sydney, he wouldn't have had that amazing night out in New York. I've had nights like that when I first moved to New York and didn't know anyone. Yeah, you just. There's all just this yes ending. Oh, yeah. okay, I'm, I'll go with you guys now. Like it's pretty. It's, there's it's definitely yeah, this community fluid. vibe. So I thought that was quite good in in capturing that. Obviously not in the specifics. <laughs> like it's not realistic. Yeah. But so what? Um, <laughs> it's Hollywood. Yeah. And the other thing that was nice watching it with Ara was the plaza because we got engaged at the ah, plaza. Ah, yes, I had to discuss that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, um, I tricked Ara into thinking we we're going for dinner at the plaza. And we booked out a suite upstairs and mm-hmm. we had a party with all our friends and it was pretty good. Um, so every time we see the plaza, we're like, oh, the uh, plaza. Aww. Did you stay in the same room? No. Yours he, was bigger. It wasn't bigger, but ours had stairs, yeah. which was quite cool. Well, I'm going to yeah. allude to that means it's bigger. <laughs> but it wasn't bigger. It's quite small. Um, the other thing in the rewatch that I couldn't quite get past for a while, I think I texted you this and I said it to Ara, she concurred. Um, that the the female lead of this movie looks like a live action Lois Griffin. <laughs> she really does. If they ever make a live action Family Guy, this is your this Lois. Is, yeah, Lois. Lois. She's a pewter schmidt, goddammit. Yeah, she really is a pu- pewter yeah, schmidt. Yeah, that, that blew my mind a little bit. It's pretty close. Like that's something. She's very striking, but, yeah, she's very cartoony. She is striking. It's something that struck me this time. Um, as a child... It was probably an awkward period of the aesthetic of this movie and the fashion and whatnot. I was didn't pay much attention to her. But this time I was like, hey. She had a vibe. You're all right. And Ara was like, the fashion kind of checks out, like you're saying, the swimsuit is all yeah, quite Yeah, the now. hair was a bit big. Yeah, and short, big and short. Yeah. Which isn't really a thing now. No, there was a, she, she had it slicked back in one scene, which was good. 
Yeah. The, I think Carol was digging the clothes. Yeah, it's, it wasn't bad. It's a, it's a Luke. It wasn't bad. And obviously Mick Dundee's clothes yeah, were on point. Right yeah, up. Yeah, they've yeah. come right back in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little uh, armband. I want to get one of those leather armbands. I quite like that. To run around it's my just bicep. Mick Dundee and Freddie Mercury. They're the only yeah. two people I've ever seen. I feel like. Polar opposites in many ways. Yeah, I Might feel have like grabbed it, him by the crutch if they ever met. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and said the F word or something. <laughs> Something horrible. Although he's not a bad – he doesn't judge anyone. Oh, no. no. Yeah, well, yeah, not really. Yeah, I read a Guardian article that took a different view, unsurprisingly. Well, well, let's talk about what this is. It's definitely outdated. So he's having a great time at a bar with a cab driver and whatnot. All a very lovely moment. There's there's a trans woman there. He's not cottoned on to He thinks that. he's – yeah. Grabs her by the crutch when he suspects it. And everyone just kind of laughs. And he's like, oh, he, but you know, but he told me. And it's. Uh, yeah, no, it hasn't. <laughs> it's no, that's not cool. Yeah, it's, it's very not, cringe. It's not cool. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't great. wasn't great. That doesn't but hold hey, up very well. It's an old movie. Um, oh, you know, it was pretty funny though. I did catch myself thinking, I'm just not buying the romance. Why would you fall for him? And then I said to myself, well, yeah. <laughs> Well, it's pretty believable because well, that's because they did hook up in real life. She's nineteen years younger than him. Nice. <laughs> um, so, so they hooked up, but as I'm watching, I'm like, but why, really? Why would she? Because he's but, fucking Rick Dundee, bro. Oh, if, hey, I get it. He, but, she, he comes out of the water with a barramundi. I was in a moment of confusion. It's but you know what? You're aligned with the views of the great Ebert. Oh yeah. So I'll get. I've got a quote from him. He gave it two out of four stars. Oh, only. And he had quite the quote here, amongst other. You know, he wasn't completely negative. Obviously, he he gave it a couple of stars, but he does talk about the chemistry. So Carol and I commented on the yeah. chemistry. That's the Carol that's was what like, I first thought. The chem- I don't know if the chemistry. Carol thought it was big. Oh, big chemistry. What's the word I'm looking for? It's a scientific term, I think. Yeah, big. Big. Big chemistry. Um, it's like a big beaker. It's a, it was a, a large, tube. a big beaker and a Pouring Bunsen in. burner. Yeah, yeah, big chemistry. Lab coat. Um, yeah. So he's, his quote is, not one moment of chemistry. Um, <laughs> the movie feels curiously machine made. As if they had all the right ingredients but simply forgot to add the animal magnetism. Mm. Well, 25 years of marriage. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty and good. And a leaving of one's family <laughs> to p- <laughs> pursue said marriage. Probably uh, contradicts that. Well, see that Ebert and Tristan. <laughs> well, I arrived at that. Yeah, yeah, well, pretty soon after. Well, but he didn't have the. I had the benefit have the of foresight. hindsight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had the benefit of hindsight. So that's interesting too, because in, it's very similar to the Chamberlain family. Australia turned on this poor woman. Yeah, homewrecker. Yeah, so Linda Kozlowski. Kowalski. Kozlowski. Kozlowski. Yeah, Kozzy. Let's go with Kozzy. So Kozzy was quite demonised in Australian media. Could call her Linda even. And um, I was watching a, a clip of um, of uh, Hoagsy talking about it today, which was interesting because it's like, you know, they painted this picture of all these poor kids sitting out the front, when's daddy coming home, yada, yada, yada. Need I remind you, this movie came out when he's like 47 years old. He had kids when he was 19. His kids are married. They're mm. not at home. Yeah. So it was quite amicable apparently. The kids are like, yeah, I mean, divorce is out. They might be at home but like their own home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's 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 not a home wrecker type situation. It's just a 
life happens kind of thing. And the fact that they were married so long, you kind of go, okay, they, well, they I guess it just kind of had happened. a life. Yeah. So the media was, was, was pretty harsh on these guys. And there's a few other interesting things that happened. Fuck you, asshole. <laughs> yeah. Fuck you, Australian media. Fuck you, new idea. <laughs> so there's a few things that happened off the back of this movie. One was that romance. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, love that would echo through to 2015. Lowenstein. Um, Lowenstein. Uh, but it was, like I said, the highest grossing Australian movie of all time. Hoagsy went on to co-host the Oscars in 1987. Really? With, with Chevy Chase and Goldie Horn, And he opened the show with this pretty great speech. I never knew this. No rehearsals, no script approval, no cue cards. Um, this is my first time at the Academy Awards. I usually watch it on television. And for that reason, I've been asked to come out here and speak to my peers on behalf of the television audience. Um, G'day, peers. Uh, This is, uh, of course, the big event of show business. And the atmosphere here is pure electricity. But as a television show, it does tend to go slightly off the boil. particularly as we drift into the third and fourth hour. (laughs) What can we do about it? Firstly, uh, winners, when you make your speech, it's a good tip to remember the three Gs. Be gracious, be grateful, get off. (laughs) Secondly, don't be too humble tonight because we have up here a second envelope. Don't get up on stage and say, I don't deserve this award. If you really feel you don't deserve an Academy Award, (laughs) just give us a wave from your seat. So for its time, that's almost like the Ricky Gervais of the Golden Globes type of deal, I reckon. It's pretty good. That goes for a lot longer. I'll put it on the gram. But how bloody good is he's blowing up. This movie is huge. He's co-host of the Oscars. He was on Letterman, like we said. And it's interesting, further on in that Letterman interview, I'll play a clip now, just the questions he's asking just really go to show how far Australia has come in people knowing anything about it because <laughs> it's, it's pretty like kindergarten questions about Australia. Yeah. Like it's one step removed from, so do you ride a kangaroo to school kind of thing? <laughs> yeah, which we've all copped at some stage, right? Yeah. And, and the, uh, the origin of the country was a prison colony, correct? Yeah, the, the dumb pommies, you know, the British. The dumb pommies? Yeah. Why do, why do we call them pommies? Uh, P-O-H-M, prisoners of a majesty. Oh, I see. All the early uh, British migrants come out there in, like this. Uh-huh. I mean, my ancestors were slaves. Yeah. They thought it was uh, like Devil's Island. And they said, we found this little island down south. Uh-huh. And they sent all their, all their convicts and all their rabble-rousers and, and all their rebels down yeah. there. And they, you know, they didn't know it was a mighty big continent. Yeah. Uh, all the criminals and the shifties and the rebels that escaped came to America. <laughs> <laughs> and the, all the ones that got caught went to Australia. Yeah. So I guess you're a bit sharper than we are. <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting, right? You don't see Chris Hemsworth on fucking Jimmy Fallon asking, you know, asking him about how Australia was founded. Mm-hmm. Like, and while some of those questions might be a bit cringe, it goes to show just at this point in time. Zero knowledge. Zero knowledge and this movie was quite groundbreaking in bringing some of that knowledge as, as 101 as it may be yeah. <laughs> to the masses. Like, yeah, it has a big role. Big role. And can't, you know, I've got a lot to answer for. I'm like, well, I kind of 
I don't think it. I've, I I used to think that. That's yeah. definitely where I was before when I was talking about my, you know, kind of turning my back on this movie for a while. But man, no, because if it's exactly what Carrie Tagawa. Mm-hmm. Remember way back in episode whatever, and we got to do a new Terry Tagawa movie so we can yeah. talk about this properly. Yeah. It's like there's very limited Asian roles. You either got to play the wimpy good guy nerd or you play the bad guy that's evil and I'm going to play the bad guy. Yes, I'm going to play a stereotype because I want to show this. Sometimes if a stereotype is all you got, just fucking run with it because it's better than no representation. You're saying that as a white guy that doesn't carry much water. But you get what I'm saying. Like I personally about this particular example am fine with Crocodile Dundee being the the thing that opens the door. It's working for Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. He looks like a pretty happy guy. Exactly. When I see him, I go, there's a happy guy. If you don't have Crocodile Nundee, you don't have Chris Hemsworth. Being Crocodile Being Crocodile <laughs> That's not a bad segue. It's not a bad segue. That, that's right. So we did talk a little earlier about the ad campaign kind of blew up Australia. Yeah. In the right way. Mm. So I, I've got uh, a little bit uh, more detail, I guess, around that campaign in terms of numbers and what it did for Australian tourism and then a little bit of a, I guess, a summary of where to since then in terms of that big iconic Australian ad because it has been a, a reoccurring thing through, the, through time since, yeah. since the 80s. But I would say without spoiling the whole segment, is it, we haven't really got back to – I suppose we had a lower base to work from yeah. for, one, for one point, but we haven't really quite got back to the, the scale and, I guess, impact that we saw with – They say it's one of the best tourism campaigns of all time – and in again, his, in the history of the world, <laughs> the universes. Come and say g'day was the campaign. So yeah. everyone remembers it, if if only by throw a shrimp on the barbie yeah. and the various interpretations. The fact that you know that and you may not know how you know that, it's just this. shows us how far it reaches. Let's put another shrimp on the barbie. Exactly, and it actually only ran in the US. Right. So it wasn't a global campaign. It was specifically. Targeting Americans. It was marketing Australia and hoax. <laughs> yeah, basically. And it ran for uh, for six years and just pumps it out in the States and kind of built off that. But the impact was significant. So within three months of being on air, rock, um, Australia rocketed from the number 78 to the number seven um, most desired uh, wow. destination for international travel for Americans. Fuck. Those that have a passport. Um, arrivals doubled for the first three years and for four years the growth rate was more than 25% annually from that market. From 78 to 8. Yeah, to oh, 7. To 7, yeah. even better. It, just built, it <laughs> built US tourism into Australia basically. Man, yeah, that's huge. And it's pretty far to come. Yeah, yeah. yeah. well it doesn't get any further. Well, yeah. It actually does doesn't get further. Before you start going back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Unless you're flat earther. Yeah, yeah. Well, in which case we don't exist. Yeah. So since then, there's been uh, a few others. Probably one of the most other famous, probably mo- more famous locally than ev- than ever internationally was uh, 2006. Uh, Where the bloody hell are you? Yeah, um, led by no other than our current fearless leader, Skangers Skomo. Oh, she was a talent. Yeah, but oh, yeah. our prime minister, oh. our current prime minister, was the general manager of Tourism Australia at that point. Oh, yeah. That's how he's got the nickname Scotty from marketing. Fuck. So he produced this campaign effectively. And it's it the cringiest young, thing that ever cringed. A long, yeah, young Lara Bingle who's gone on to become quite famous for marrying a 
cricketer. Um, and and now Avatarman. What does she do now? She married to, what's his name from Avatar? Oh, Sam Worthington. Yeah. Oh, good for her. I'm glad she's found love again. This campaign didn't do so well. Right. It actually got a lot of complaints because where the bloody hell are you? Yeah, maybe used in a context of endearment in Australia, but as we talked about, uh, the beginning of the show, not all words or phrases that it's we a, use. Yeah, that's actually uh, are a really good example. Or interpreted. Bloody, Bloody hell. hell. Yeah, that's a good example. It didn't go down well. Um, apparently there was tons of complaints from Canada. The UK banned the ad um, and they had to rewrite it for Asia. It was a $180 million campaign and effectively was a failure. Wow. And um, it wasn't a good ad outside of that really. No, I mean it was pretty standard. I mean she was a – an attractive lady on a beach for the last couple of Half seconds. A second, yeah. Or that line, yeah. It did well for her. Yeah, it sure did. It launched a career. So, you know, I'm sure she's thanking mm. ScoMo at the ballots. Mm. <laughs> um, and there's been a, a series of others. Um, there was a Richie Benno piece. The Baz Luhrmann did a big walk, come walkabout one in 2008. With Australia, in line with the movie Australia. Correct, yeah. correct. The I guess probably, you know, cutting – Cutting directly to the most relevant example was was it what year was it two thousand eighteen? They did the remake. Yeah. They basically remade a short as though they were re- they they pitched it like they were remaking the movie. Yeah, there was a super Super Bowl ad. I think was it. There was a few ads that was yeah, a tra- that, it was a trailer yeah. essentially. It was a trailer, and I thought it was amazing. I thought it was really really good. Man, it, it did precasties. I mean recasties. Yeah, like that was yeah. It on was point. it. So it was um, and repitched like it was a good idea. Yeah, it all made sense. Danny McBride comes to Australia looking for his long lost brother. That I think he turns out to be the son or something. Is something he? I don't know. Illegitimate son of yeah. Mick. Is that what it is? I should have like looked that. this up. And so he's trying to get in touch with his roots. Or yeah, like it makes sense. And that, they're all, it's the, that would be the logical. Yeah, it was really everyone wanted the movie, man. Not everyone. The Guardian certainly didn't. They were they took great <laughs> offence to um, the even the, the mere notion of this being created again, <laughs> which was I'm like, come on, mate, settle down. What do you mean? As in, don't touch a classic, no, or the fact no, they just leave no. it in the past. It's <laughs> such a horrific. Oh wow! Its treatment of uh, gays and trans and women right. is so horrific. Maybe it's got a chance to redeem itself and address some of those things because oh, but then he wouldn't it's have a an article, would he? moment. Yeah, but man, that was legit. I thought it was a real movie. A lot of our old coworkers worked on this campaign. That's right. It came out yeah, of our old yeah, agency, yeah. UM. So shout out to Chris Coulter and the gang. They cleaned up at the at the various. They killed it. They killed it. It's a great campaign. The only downside is that the movie doesn't exist because I would have been down with that. Yeah, follow through, motherfuckers. <laughs> now that's there. Yeah, there's your award entry for that one, guys. Mm. And then we made the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there were some decent salaries to be paid probably just for an hour of their time. Yeah, yeah. Well, there were some interesting movie opportunities off the back of this explosion of McDundee fever. <laughs> <laughs> your, your, your mind went somewhere else. They did. Yeah. I don't know why. So Paramount pitched this. Get this. Probably after some cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> pitched the concept of Crocodile Dundee and Beverly Hills Cop crossover. Yeah, I was going to say, have you, got some cross- <laughs> have you got some crossovers going? You know, that's not bad. There's, there's some similar DNA with these two movies. They follow a very similar kind of. I think it's not the, the worst without idea. The violence, without the violence. Because. Like, it could work. It could work. Because of uh, Mick's laconic, laid back. Like, I'd love to see Mick and Salge. 
Mick and Serge, yes. It writes itself. And he is kind of straight. Yeah. Right? And you've got fast-talking Aquel. Yeah, it works. It works. Yep. I'm in. Paramount, 30 years later, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 35 years, 40 years. How old? Oh, man. We got, we're, <laughs> we're getting we old. We got old. Now, this is the best one. So I mentioned before he's getting off at action roles. He's like, I'm not interested. I'm not part of the lap pack. I don't want to kill 75 yeah. people on screen. He gets off at the role, the lead role in Ghost. Wow. No, he didn't. He did. I verified this. I looked at many articles. As he, Crocodile Dundee. He talks about yeah, <laughs> in character. We just think this movie is missing <laughs> some walkabout. No, he, he was offered the role. And if you remember, we've covered this movie, of course, listeners, friends of the show, um, one of our lower listened to episodes because it came around around Christmas. So go and listen to that, you assholes. Um, <laughs> That was, that was made by the Zucker brother or one of the Zucker brothers. Mark. Um, was it? <laughs> Boig? Mark Zucker Boig. Yes, yes. No, one of the Zucker brothers as in Zucker Airplane, as in Zucker's yes. Naked Gun, yes. etc. A genre that someone like a Hoagsy would not be unfamiliar with. Uh-huh. And so he's like, oh, it's a Zucker movie. Let me read the script. Oh, that's not very funny. No, I won't do that. Mm. And then it's like, oh, it wasn't a comedy. <laughs> yeah, so he had the opposite um, Garfield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he read the script and realized <laughs> he did the opposite of yeah. Because often we hear these stories of they don't read the script and off the title or the names oh, on the yeah, title. Like, like Bill Murray thinking Bill Murray thinking he's doing a Coen Brothers movie with Garfield, or, or Johnny Depp thinking he's doing a hockey movie with um, Hard Target. Hey, Greg. So I mentioned. Crocodile Dundee was the highest grossing, adjusted for inflation, Wow! Australian movie of all time. All of the time. Worldwide box office, that is. You, want, you have any guesses of what else might be in the top ten? Uh-huh. What do you got? Top ten. There's Australian. some in here that you're like, oh, is that an Australian movie? Well, yeah, you you alluded to that earlier when you said Happy Feet. Yeah, because that's, that's what's that his name? George Miller or whatever his yeah, name is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mad Max. And so, yeah, George Miller's got. Two in there, Mad Max and Happy Feet. Three, Babe was sort of one of his. I was going to say Babe. Yeah. that's. I that's said Babe earlier, so I'm giving myself three ticks so far. Yeah. Uh, Australia? Yeah, number eight. Okay. Uh, There's another Lerman. Yeah, I was thinking Lerman. <laughs> um, Strictly Ballroom? No, think more recent Lerman. Strictly Ballroom's in there in the top Romeo and Juliet? 50 or something. Is that classified as an Australian film? Not really. I think it might be. Well, Muriel's Wedding? Muriel's Wedding is number 25. Mm. Uh, the Castle? Interestingly, no. I don't think that was that big outside of Australia. Why don't I read some of them out? Why don't I keep guessing? <laughs> I am running late for my... Greg, Greg's got somewhere to be. So number one is Crocodile Dundee. Number two, Happy Feet. Number yeah. three, Crocodile, Crocodile Dundee 2. Yeah. Number four is Babe. Number five mm. is Moulin Rouge. What? Uh, Moulin Rouge. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mad Max Fury Road is number six. Oh. Number wow, six. Wow, is it? Yeah. The new one. Yeah. It was good. It was good. Fast. Yeah. Very fast. It was great. And it's just like one chase. Yeah. The whole movie. It's just, I, it's kind of an art house movie, like a oh, blockbuster yeah, art house it's, movie. It's, it's, yes, it is. It's, I'm very proud of this movie. I'm happy for that to yeah, be out there. Yeah. It's great. Um, why are we doing Verhoeven? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> it felt right. It's uh, been a while. Gatsby's in there. Right. Knowing? I don't know what knowing is. So I think it's some kind of horror. Yeah, sounds like BMX it. BMX Bandits. Hacksaw Ridge, number 10. 
And I know that's a Mel Gibson movie, but I didn't know it was Aussie. I don't know much else about it other than it's... There's a few other wildcards in there like Gods of Egypt, which is a great bad movie. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Uh, I don't love it. Yeah, it's pretty fun. I think it might be on Netflix. I strongly recommend watching that. Is that Sean Bean or one of those guys? Uh, it's, 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 It's got... Just spotter. Yeah, that's who I meant. Jared Butler. Yeah, Gerard Butler. He's not Sean Bean. No, but yeah. You get a similar look. <laughs> one's British, one's Scottish or something. That's pretty massive, man. Like even without adjusting for inflation, it's already up there. So mm. before inflation, it's in Australian dollar reduce, 484 million. Happy Feet is 513 million. Um, I'm trying to see if there's anything more than that. It's not really, it's still number one before inflation. Like it's, Number two, number, you know, that's huge. It's huge. That's simply huge. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Before we get into verdict, just a couple of little, uh, call them nitpicks, call them questions, call them questionables, call them outdatedness potentials, Mm. potentially. Mm. There's a couple of questions I wanted to kind of think out loud with you, Greg and friends Mm. of the show. We, We mentioned there's some things in this movie that potentially outdated. Some some of these questions are like, yeah, it's probably outdated. Some of these questions are like, oh, yeah, yeah. So on the one hand, we mentioned this one. Yeah, it's, it's kind of progressive to show a trans character, but yeah. grabbing them by the crutch, yeah, probably not so much. Grabbing by the pussy. <laughs> yeah, he really trumped it with that one. Yeah. Yeah. It's all the rage. It's all the, maybe that's, fuck, is this part of, in this timeline, is that where Trump got it from? Maybe. Fuck. You, <laughs> horrible man. <laughs> um, blah, 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 representation of Aboriginal culture. This is genuinely a question. I don't know. Um, I think it's cool that they represented Aboriginal culture in a way in this. I started to cringe at the line. So Neville, um, when he shows up and um, she says, oh, how does he find his way in the dark? And then Mick says something like, you know, some people believe they're telepathic. And it's like, oh, take it easy. This sounds made up. But then they, it's, that's the joke because mm. then he walks into a tree. So that was – I was like, oh, that's good. That's just funny. Mm. Um, but aside from that, I have no qualified point of view on on how good a representation of Aboriginal culture this may or may not be. But at least there is some representation. Mm. That's not bad. That's not bad. There's a sweet corroboree scene. Yeah. Except Mick Dundee's in the middle of it. I don't know how that would yeah. – yeah, maybe. He's a gubby. Yeah. Um, does he actually hunt crocodiles? Oh, yeah, yeah, he does. He does, right? Yeah. I feel like that wouldn't be cool now. No, I feel like it would be more like. In the third one, he's not a crocodile hunter anymore because it's banned. Oh, well, because it's banned or because it's just wrong. It's because illegal. I feel, yeah, I feel like he'd still, he would do it if he could. Kind yeah, of, thing. of course. Yeah. Because I feel like the modern version, a bit like a Steve Irwin type, would be oh, no, they're misunderstood creatures or they're beautiful. Mm. Mm. Like oh, yeah. the, the, instead of saving her with a knife and killing a crocodile, he would like hug it or Wrestle something. Wrestle it. And yeah, and be like, and then they'll be mates. Put his finger up its ass. Yeah, <laughs> we're really pissed it off now. I love when we do fake Aussie accents. Get close <laughs> and get his finger right up his ass. <laughs> You've seen, yeah. you know, okay. I'm so, talking about. South Park. Yeah, yeah. Talking about save South save Park. me here. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not just talking about sticking Well, sometimes we know what we're talking about yeah. and then we I forget that we're podcasting. I need you to man explain to other people what I'm doing. <laughs> I think you man explain. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was a great meme we saw the other day. Oh, wasn't it good? Uh, so, yeah, I think if it was modern day, you know, he'd crack a beer with a crocodile after a good wrestle. Yeah. yeah. That would be the modern version. Oh, of not bad, mate. Yeah, you gave it a good go. Yeah, have a. 
sip of my Foster's, mm. <laughs> my Brisbane bitter. Um, to what extent do you think you could really knock someone out at a dinner table or at a populated restaurant without anyone noticing? Uh, oh, look, it's, you've got to get him on the chin. Yeah. it's. I rewatched that part a couple of times because you don't actually see a punch. There's just yeah. kind of a gesture and then a... Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, it's doable, it's doable mate. Doable. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I thought, I thought so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it checks out. It checks out. Drunk driving cabbie, mm, probably a bit outdated. Yeah. He was pretty wasted and then he shows up he with was, it. Yeah. <laughs> he had a great, what are they called, bicycle hats or whatever they are. Yeah, it was a real spike yeah, <laughs> Lee. Had one of those. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh. Still got him. I wore it around for a period. It's my only recasty. Spike Lee is that guy. Nice. Uh, he wears a good one of those. Mookie. Mookie? Isn't he? Mookie? I don't know. Um, oh, and then finally, just one little final nitpick. To what extent <laughs> do you think he could pull the spoiler off a limousine and use it as a. <laughs> use it as a as a boomerang, without ever throwing a boomerang before, mind you, uh, and take out a bad guy, knock him out cold. I think it, look, it's executionally difficult. <laughs> but possible. It's definitely possible. And it's Reginald. Yeah. I mean, he's a marvellous man. Yeah, he's, there's, not, I, there's not much I don't believe he couldn't do. So what we're saying is every one of these holds up, maybe except for the Trumpy bit. Yeah. Yeah. And then I just don't believe that um, Sue in that opening scene at the pub would have been casually sitting there without having like every dude in the pub falling over. Yeah, yeah, She's just yeah, sitting yeah. there. She's the only girl in the bar outside yeah. of the bar wench. Yeah. And she's an absolute belter and there's no blokes giving her any attention. That's just a lie. 100%. In any setting, let alone the outback. 100%. So ultimately this movie does not hold up, I think is what we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fail. Don't yeah. rewatch it. No. Should we get into the verdict? Mm. I don't know what to say, really. I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing. I am the law. I'd like an answer to the question, Judge. I want to have them answered immediately. You can't handle the truth. What are you waiting for? Huh? Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. Nothing further. Your Honor. And that's all I have to say about that. Uh, I got I got a bit of an overall thought here, Greg. Mm. Now, this movie is a lot of things. Is it a, is it an accurate representation of Australia? Eh, probably not. Is it an accurate representation of the spirit of Australia? Eh, kinda. Is it the biggest global pop cultural impact we've had on the world at this point? And to that, I got to say absolutely. And it is this. Uh, this is why. This movie will always have to be a rewatch. Um, Paul Hogan said, I'm planning for it to be Australia's first proper movie. I don't think we've had one yet. Not a real general public successful entertainment movie. And I think that's true and I think he accomplished that. And in addition to that kind of milestone and that cultural impact and this being the the cultural artifact of that thing, it's also capturing this charm of this pretty special iconic Aussie Mm. In his prime, yeah. in a pretty tidy little package of 90 minutes or so, two hours, is it? I don't know. Um, and for all these reasons, it's just got to be a rewatch. Yeah. Historical significance, but also in terms of this guy, he's pretty charming. He's got something special. He's, he's, he is kind of Australia's Aquel folly. He is special. In many ways. And it's a love story that prelude, preluded. Real love. Uh, real love. Yeah. Albeit home wrecking love. It's real love. 
Can't argue with that. Yeah. Call that love, Debo. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Should we get into our little testies? I don't have any recasties. I don't have recasties either um, because I think the yeah that tourism campaign kind of nailed it. Yeah. I like that as yeah. a repitch and as a recastie. Did Simpsons do it? Absolutely they did. Old knifey spoonie. Knifey spoonie. You call that a knife? This is a knife. That's not a knife, that's a spoon. All right, all right, you win. <laughs> I see you've played knifey spoonie before. Um, <laughs> porn parody. I didn't look. I did. Now there's Crocodile Blondie spelt with two E's, so I think it's Crocodile Blondie. Nice. Not bad. I assume she has an Australian accent. Uh, in many ways, this movie, like many others we cover, is sort of the opposite of Bechdel Test. So that's not a pass. Yeah, it's a big firm. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's the few it's, and far I between. I think you could argue that movies like this are why they invented the Bechdel Test. Yeah, and probably shows like the Paul Hogan show are probably why they did it. Mm. Um, FX Test, yeah, why not? I don't, it's a crocodile. Nothing. That mechanical crocodile was, was pretty, pretty good. good. I thought it was good. Explosions, Yeah. Now, Greg, did you look at the six degrees of Jean-Claude Van Damme? No, I didn't. I, didn't. I did. Oh, good. So, original Bell Johnson oh, yep. was in a movie that I've never heard of, so I feel like I'm cheating whenever I do this, called uh, Remo or Remo Williams, which also co-starred one Wilford Brimley, ah, who, as done. we all know, the Cajun well uncle done. of Keep Going. Uh, Jason Vidian, hard target. Yeah, well done. That's a great one. Yeah, it's not bad. MVP? Oh, he's got to be. He's got to be Mick, I guess. It's got to be. You can't it's argue with vi- that. It's his thing. It's his vehicle. This is his. It's his, his show. The whole thing. This is a cap on it. Well, it sounds sad to say that. We'll do the sequels and we'll talk more about the legacy of this movie in another episode. But he's done bloody well to get there. The career didn't end there, but it's definitely a high point. Um, Located donk. Yeah. Oh, yeah, located Donk. Oh, I forgot I asked. Uh, we ran out of time. I did ask the Instagram community for questions and we did get some, but I think we've probably answered most of them. Um, one of them was, have we ever met Donk? <laughs> That's what reminded me. Yeah. Um, and the answer is, of course, yes, because um, there's only like, 16 people in Australia. Just saw him on the way here. Yeah. <laughs> we passed each other riding our kangaroos. Um, what are we doing next? Oh, I'm just trying to have a look. We're doing a little... Christopher Nolan. Memento. Memento. Oh, I have. I feel like, is that movie from my childhood? Yeah. That's a trip. Yeah. Well, it's around Fight Club time. Yeah. Because yeah. that was the DVD shelf, you know, the Memento, Fight Club. So cultured. I think it's pronounced Memento. Memento. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so we're doing that next week, which will be interesting. You know, Ooh. I've got a point of view on, on Nolan, so. Strap in, people. Tune in and. Prepare to disagree or agree. I'm not going to be too heavy-handed with it. Either way, just tune in. Either way, tune in, leave a review. Hey, you've we'll left many reviews. reviews. We love you guys. Thank you for leaving reviews. I know we've got a few new listeners. Um, hopefully you're enjoying the show. If you made it this far, we would love if you could leave a review. Um, but otherwise, we'll see you next week. Greg's got a thing to get to. Hey.